This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor of Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Big city school systems face extraordinary challenges. They are responsible for educating unprepared students. They're burdened by multiple regulations imposed by state and federal governments. They have imposed on themselves still more regulations through collective bargaining agreements with teachers, unions representing teachers and other school employees. Meanwhile, they are facing rising financial pressures from longstanding outdated pension and medical policies. So how are they surviving the challenge? Recently, the Education Commissioner for the State of Rhode Island asked the Johns Hopkins Institute for Education Policy to ascertain the answer to this question by taking a deep dive into the operations of one big city school district, Providence, Rhode Island. The Institute's report is comprehensive, but it raises serious questions which are now being hotly debated by the citizens of Rhode Island. To discuss the report, I am pleased to have with me today David Steiner, the director of the Johns Hopkins Institute for Education Policy, and he's also a professor at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, David, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Uh, my pleasure, Paul. Well, David, the report that you've taken is, is really quite disturbing. How did you gather the information that's contained in the report? So we wanted to make sure that we were really looking at the school district from as many important perspectives as we could. Uh, that meant that no single team uh, could do the, the full work because it would have taken months to do so. So what we did was to assemble multiple teams, uh, each one of which had a member of our Johns Hopkins Institute uh, that was made up then of a variety of other folks who were recommended to us uh, by the Department of Education of the state of Rhode Island. Um, and we, of course, went through the lists and came to an agreement with the state uh, as to who would be on those teams. Uh, they were quite eclectic. They included uh, teachers. They included uh, superintendents. They included uh, administrators. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, multiple uh, points of view were represented. Were they all from w Rhode Island? or did No, they were not. No, um, they were not, though most of them uh, had important links with Rhode Island uh, one way or the other, um, and uh, had many of them had Rhode Island experience. Well, I know you talked with a lot of people in the Providence yes. School District. Who, who were the, what were the kinds of people that you interviewed? Or your so team we, we yeah. first of all uh, went uh, into, we had teams go into 12 schools, um, and that's uh, uh, out of a total in, in Providence of 41 schools, so it's a very high percentage. Um, and in each school, we observed multiple classrooms. Uh, we had experts in different subject matters who led um, teams in those subject matters to look specifically, for example, at math classrooms, at ELA classrooms, uh, at science classrooms. Um, so that was the, the heart of the issue, because in the end, in our view, nothing counts uh, for as much as the instructional core. Everything else is perhaps supporting, perhaps detracting, perhaps distracting from uh, that core, but if that core is working well, then that's very good news. If it's troubled, then uh, obviously we have some challenges. So that was that was one group of teams. 
the second group of teams, and I was uh, on one of them, uh, interviewed a whole panoply of system leaders. That includes the superintendent, both present and former, the mayor, the city council, the school board, and multiple members of district offices. Um, we also had further uh, team meetings involved in conversations with community, parents, students, um, and teachers. So we not only were in the classrooms and schools, we were interviewing um, the teachers, the students, the parents, um, and the community leaders uh, in Providence. So if you add all of that together, I think we can be pretty confident, given that we interviewed hundreds of teachers, over 200 in the end, we can be fairly confident that we got a, a comprehensive uh, look at the district and its educational practices. Naturally, in addition to the interviewing uh, and the observations, we, we looked at the analysis of results. We, we looked closely at the outcome data over multiple years, uh, specifically in ELA uh, and in math, because we wanted to ground our findings uh, on the outcomes for children. Well, you compared uh, Providence to a couple of other cities. Uh, which cities did you select for comparison? Well, we, we were keen to look at as places that were comparable. And to be very honest, um, there was one aspect in which Providence was difficult to match, for example, to Worcester, Massachusetts, which was one of our, uh, our cities. Um, in the sense that Providence has a very high L population, uh, English language learners, um, much higher than we were able to find in otherwise comparable cities. We wanted to compare Providence with Rhode Island as a whole, of course. We also wanted it to compare it with other districts. We could find um, similar poverty rates, sometimes higher, sometimes not, um, similar ethnic uh, breakdowns. As, as you're probably aware, uh, Providence has a very high Hispanic uh, population, which uh, we were able to duplicate. But I, we were careful to point out that in the, the precise breakdown or, you know, um, the comparison with other districts, you're not going to find one that looks exactly like Providence. Um, because it has a particular balance uh, of demographics, um, and uh, we, we were careful to note that. Well, there's always that problem because every, every city is, is unique. It, it is indeed, yeah. um, and we, we deliberately looked at uh, the most challenged uh, districts as well in, in our uh, presentation to, uh, to the, the department and to the commissioner, um, for example, as you may well know, we, we, you're speaking to me in my Johns Hopkins office in Baltimore, which is one of the, the three most challenged urban districts in the country uh, based on the NAEP results, on the so-called Tudor sampling um, of the NAEP results. Um, and Baltimore has a, a, an enormous concentrated poverty challenge, a very high minority um, and uh, in terms of wealth is, is, is not close to what Providence is. I'm not suggesting Providence is super wealthy, but it is certainly wealthier than, than Baltimore. And we were struck by the fact that uh, on a number of measures, the two 
cities or the two public school districts had very similar outcomes. Um, that was something we noted while also noting, as you point out, that no two school districts are exactly the same. But um, a, a, you know, a public review, uh, which is always available to everyone, of their results indicated uh, right off the bat two uh, worrying trends. The first was that their proficiency rates uh, in both uh, math uh, and to some extent in ELA, but, but very much so in math, uh, were going down uh, as the grade levels advanced. So um, math and ELA in third grade are between 15 and 20 percent, not, not strong, obviously. But by the time they're in eighth grade, the proficiency rates are below 10 percent, between 5 and 10 percent um, in, in those two subjects. And then the other worrying finding was that over the, the years, if you take eighth grade as a snapshot and you look at 2015 through 2018, um, you see that the proficiency rates actually decline um, quite markedly in ELA from 20 percentile uh, to again between 5 and 10 percentile. Um, in the case of math, uh, it's been low throughout. Um, at one point, it was actually below 5 percent. Now it's slightly above 5 percent. Um, but what that means is that more than 93 percent of students in Providence are not proficient in math at eighth grade. Well, tell me, tell me this. Is that because the standards are so high in Rhode Island? Does Rhode Island have uh, very high standards? It, it, they... has, um, it has reasonable standards, um, um, not, you know, uh, unbelievably strong or weak. Um, it is transitioning to the use of, of the Massachusetts test, which is regarded well. Um, and uh, that's certainly true. But the, the 2017 results would not reflect that. Um, and in general, these results were, were PARC. Um, this is a shared assessment with multiple other states. Um, it, they're, they're regarded as strong assessments, um, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Well, let me get a couple of other facts on the table before we uh, probe more deeply. And that, that's, uh, who, who, what's the school board? How does the school board chosen... Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, one of the one of the major findings is that um, there were multiple sources of governance um, in the in the Rhode Island Providence school system, and that's a really important fact. Um, in most cases, you can say, well, uh, the superintendent is running the district and is answerable answerable to the school board. Right? That that seems pretty evident in most public school districts. In this case, the, the city council um, approves all, all contracts of $5,000 or above, quite astonishingly. We've never seen that before. And that includes all the public school contracts. So the city council already has a, a seat at the table in a very immediate sense. Secondly, the mayor um, has the authority um, to appoint and approve um, the members of the school board. It's, it's in that sense mayoral control. Um, but 
nevertheless, it was clear that the school board and the mayor weren't necessarily um, on the same page. Uh, to make this specific, the mayor was very, very uh, enthusiastic about educational technology um, and had made a major uh, fiscal play, if you will, in that domain. We can come back to that later, um, in particular the use of summit learning, um, whereas some members of the school board uh, were, were much less enamored uh, of that approach. And that's only one example of differences. Then, because it's a small state, you also have a lot of interaction with RIDE, with the Rhode Island Department of Education, um, and, and the state commissioner, um, who, as you rightly pointed out, um, was instrumental in bringing us in to do the work in the first place. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the district office with many career folks, um, some of whom were clearly there, had been there for a long time and had developed relationships with the very strong teachers' union, which was another source of authority. Um, so summing all of this up, you had the superintendent, you had the mayor, you had the city council, you had the school board, you had the the state uh, department of education, and you had the, the Providence uh, Department of Education itself, each of which were rowing um, the boat in their own direction to some degree. And one of the most prevalent findings of the interviews that we did of all of those folk um, were that they almost without exception pointed to the fact that there was no coherence uh, necessarily in the direction that these various folks with responsibility for the schools were taking. So this, the, there was a superintendent in charge, but in fact, was this person was not in charge. It was a rather chaotic situation, very yes, difficult I for mean, anybody to get there was a big, uh, rather, I, I think, in the end, not important, but, but symbolic um, dispute paraded in front of us as to whether the superintendent interviewed the substitute traffic crossing guards. Um, he said he didn't, others said he did, it doesn't matter, but there's no question that levels of micromanagement existed in part because of a lack of trust across the system. So is Providence starved for uh, fiscal resources? What's its financial situation? It depends who you speak to. I've yet to be in a public school district that would say, you know, that they have more more fiscal resources than they need. Um, and it is true that compared to, um, let us say, New York, where, of course, the cost of living is much higher, um, the per pupil, um, depending on how you calculate it, it's complicated because um, multiple elements go into it, as you well know, but the per pupil isn't, you know, at the level um, uh, that it is there or indeed in Boston or indeed e even in Baltimore. Um, and there is uh, a lot of talk about raising uh, that amount. But it's interesting that uh, the, the, the major thrust of conversations, while it certainly included resources, no question, we did hear that, and I want to make that clear, um, it was as much about um, the, the multiple pushes in different directions that the system was getting um, as it was for the money. Now, uh, where the money clearly did uh, count and where we did see a lot of 
of conversation was on what we might call the support structures, uh, counselors in the, in the schools, health uh, support for good health in the schools, um, the, the ability to attract really strong teachers um, instead of the very widespread use uh, of substitute teachers. But the reason I say this becomes complicated is that there was also a very high absentee rate um, in many schools of the regular teachers. Was there any any uh, commentary as to why the absentee rate was so high? That's usually a sign yes, of bad morale. Yes, there was. Um, there, there was a general uh, depression among many, many teachers we spoke to. Um, they, I think that's not an unfair word. They were depressed about um, what was happening in their schools. Um, they felt that the um, new, relatively new push on new forms of, of behavior management and, and uh, justice in the schools had created more chaos, not better behavior. Um, they felt they were not backed up when uh, students were clearly out of line. Um, they complained about um, some of their colleagues whose behavior was, was fairly notorious, um, and the sense that the district was just letting it go. Um, and so generally, the, the mood uh, was, was, was very down. Um, there were very few people of the hundreds we spoke to who at that point were optimistic about the future. Um, everyone spoke yeah. about uh, classical, which is their select high school, and where all you know most of the the senior people in the city, if they grew up there, went, um, and that was sort of their crown jewel. Um, but in all other cases, and I should say that wasn't a school we went to because it was atypical. But in in the schools we were in, and that they were a range of schools, carefully chosen to reflect the rest of the district. Um, it was a rare voice that was positive. So the uh, physical condition of the school buildings uh, received quite a bit of commentary. Yes. Uh, is that because the maintenance department was not um, well-directed? or what? Yes, what, what I think, think that, that it, it's hard to know where. I, I, you know, we did not get into um, applying blame or fault in a complex uh, logistical support system. We we simply at that level, you know, reported what we saw, including you know warnings about um, uh, lead in the water, um, dripping pipes with brown water coming out of taps, um, broken down uh, air conditioning units everywhere, um, uh, peeling paint, uh, just. Uh, environments that were worse than anything um, members of our team had seen anywhere, including uh, one who'd been in multiple schools in rural Arkansas, um, which not known for being, you know, uh, absolutely well resourced. Uh, and I've been in multiple schools in, in Baltimore to compare, um, as, as had a number of our team, of course. And I think that was very disturbing um, uh, to see because it looked more than just, you know, kind of dilapidated. It looked, in some cases, dangerous. And to be fair, um, when we made the report, uh, certainly the commissioner 
took immediate note, and my understanding is that action is being taken right now uh, on some of the worst uh, offenders in that regard. So one somewhere in the report, I, I, I remember reading that uh, the collective bargaining agreement was identified as a problem by more people than any other single thing. Am I over-interpreting yes. this? Um, yeah. I mean, as you probably, well, I know you know, um, collective bargaining agreements can be very thick documents. And uh, this one was absolutely, you know, Exhibit A. Um, it made it very, very hard for principals, uh, for example, to dismiss um, teachers who they knew were uh, greatly underperforming. It, it took uh, an agonizing amount of money and time, and therefore it didn't happen. It essentially didn't happen. Um, there, there were, you know, some um, actions taken for other reasons against a small number of teachers, but not for academic purposes. It was just too burdensome. It was also extremely burdensome to uh, do anything creative in terms of time, um, in terms of PD. Uh, there was basically one day of PD a year, um, which is not unknown in the United States. It's actually more common than one might think. But by way of comparison, there are a few achievement first charter schools in Providence, and on average, they offer 24 days of PD a year. PD so if you being, can imagine, P, for our audience, just say what PD stands for. Uh, uh, sorry, professional development. Professional development, yeah. Um, so that, that's a rather stark, um, one might almost say tragic, comparison, because um, one of the things we found was that the average teacher in Providence was, was, was a veteran, um, had been there well over 10 years, um, and in, to the extent that you were asking these teachers to teach newer materials, um, and much more importantly, perhaps, teaching a very different demographic than when they were young, um, you know, it would have needed a major effort to assist them to retool, and one day a year is clearly not going to do it. So you're not saying here that every big city school system is in uh, a really uh, very, very serious, troubled state. You're saying that Providence is even more serious a situation than the yes. typical urban school district. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's Tudor results, if it were large enough to be counted under the NAEP Tudor, would, be, would place it in the bottom four cities in the United States against cities like Detroit, Fresno, and Baltimore. Um, and that shouldn't be the case for a city in Rhode Island uh, that, while it has its challenges, is doesn't face the kind of abject, concentrated, um, you know, poverty that that those cities do. Well, Rhode Island has long had a reputation of being sort of a machine politics type city. Is that mm -hmm. the underlying story here? You don't say that in the report, but is the underlying story here that this? This uh, disorganized system really has a lot of patronage and uh, non-educational objectives. We, we at felt work. that it would be wrong for us to speculate. We we were not there to you know to do a an investigation of patronage. I would say that w everyone complained um, except one member of the city council 
about the $5,000 requirements um, because that made every single contract with any meaning susceptible to politics. And that's an invitation to abuse, even if abuse doesn't occur. Um, naturally, in a small system, um, in a city that's had its troubles um, in terms of political patronage, you know, where everyone knows everyone, um, you've got to break with that history uh, if you're going to move forward. Again, we were not in a position to, you know, play detective. Uh, it was not for us to say whether some of the outcomes were the result of, of less than above board process. Um, we can't know that. So what is the state of Rhode Island and the and the city of Providence now doing in response to the report? Is your report having right. an impact? So the, the commissioner um, who, uh, who really uh, brought us there um, has announced subsequently that the state would take over the district. Um, and that's, that's obviously important. Um, it's tricky in Rhode Island, as it is almost anywhere, um, because the state had previously taken over, um, uh, you know, a school in, in a district elsewhere uh, with problematic outcomes. Uh, that was under Deborah Gist. Um, but the school district is now being run by the state. The state um, announced an interim uh, superintendent almost immediately. Um, it technically took over the district only a few weeks ago. Uh, we are expecting the announcement any day of a permanent superintendent, again, made by the state commissioner. Um, and uh, already there's been some direct action. For example, the, the hierarchical structure, the administrative structure of the school district in Providence has been changed by the state commissioner. Um, with certain people being removed and certain hierarchies being flattened and made more horizontal. So the state is not waiting for the permanent superintendent to, to start its actions. It has started them already. But I imagine that changes will accelerate once the permanent superintendent is announced. So is this proving to be difficult? I mean, I would think after a report like this, it might be difficult to find a qualified person willing to take well, on the job. Well, again, I don't want to speculate, um, but it's certainly true that um, the, the, uh, the search continues. I'm told that it may be uh, coming to a close. I, can't, I, I have no direct uh, information on that. Um, but certainly you've got a challenge in the following sense that um, the, in Massachusetts, as you know, there's actually a receivership law. That is, there's a law that specifies the powers of uh, someone who the state selects to put into a district once the state has taken it over. Um, that was true, for example, of Jeff Riley when he was put in um, to his, to, to Lawrence. Uh, under a receivership. He's yeah, now yeah the Massachusetts. Massachusetts did a takeover of the city of Lawrence School District in Massachusetts. Exactly, exactly. And, and there was a very granular, specific statutory language that was relied on. Now, Rhode Island has nothing like that. Rhode Island has a very short uh, general law that says that in the circumstances in which a district is underperforming over multiple years, uh, which clearly applies to Providence, the state can engage in progressive takeover. It does not specify what that can entail and what it can't entail. 
Meanwhile, you've got collective bargaining also enshrined in state law. Um, those of us from New York know very well how strong uh, those those uh, legislative uh, sort of guarantees can be. Yes, you um, were the commissioner there, David, as I recall, and you probably learned a lot about that. I, I did. I had a good education in the in the uh, force of collective bargaining as I negotiated for race to the top with the union leaders. Um, now, the point I'm making in this rather uh, elongated story is that you have potentially two conflicting pieces of legislation, right? You have the progressive takeover law, you have the collective bargaining, and it, no one knows at this point what the relative weight uh, that a court might give to one or the other when they conflict. When um, Jeff Riley took over Lawrence, he actually asked all the teachers to submit their resignation, and then he rehired, but not not 10% of the teachers. He rehired 90%. Now, if uh, I'm not suggesting that the new superintendent in, in Providence would do this. This is a purely hypothetical uh, situation. But if that person were to choose to do that, it is not clear, right, what what would happen. And I think the uncertainty is, is a challenge for whoever comes in. Well, I certainly do hope that your report uh, stimulates uh, uh, some very positive uh, uh, developments in, in Providence because uh, as it stands, the picture you have portrayed there is, is truly dismal. Uh, so thank you, David, for uh, well, all the work you, that you've done thank you, and I would be here. remiss if I didn't end by saying that, you know, real credit to the commissioner and the governor. It's not easy to bring in an outside body, leave them alone, let them see what they see, report in public, not censor in any way that report, and then take responsibility, uh, as the commissioner has. I, you know, it, this is not a, 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 an any way a painless process. But um, putting the children first, as, as they have, is really worth our respect, um, because it is very tough. Well, thank you very much, David. I've been speaking with David Steiner, director of the Johns Hopkins Institute for Education Policy and a professor of education at Johns Hopkins University. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, David. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.